I should have I should have saw that coming. I should have saw that coming. Um, I think this thing's on. It says it is. So hey, can you guys hear me? All right, everybody. All right, I don't want to yell at you, but good morning, Fairdale. It is good to be with you today. Uh, Every time, every time, I'm, I'm kind of surprised because every time Brandon asked me to come and tag in, I kind of feel like the last time was the last time. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm good to be back, especially after that Super Bowl. Uh, uh, you just can't count on good officiating these days, I guess. It's <laughs> the way it works. But no, as always, it is an absolute blessing to be here and just be among you today. I'm thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for Brandon's trust in letting me come and be before you, and, uh, and I've just been looking forward to being back with you, and I know um, this is kind of a unique morning, just being able the first Sunday for, to weave in some new brothers and sisters into the church family, the Fairdale family, and I know for, for those of you, if you are new here, I want to say this, like I don't doubt at all that that kind of maybe comes with a little bit of a guardedness of walking into a new place and meeting new people, and it might have a, a mixture of some joy and some grief and some, some expectedness and guardedness, but I will say this, as someone who lives on the other side of the river and still feels a part of this church family, I'm certain of this, you will be loved well here. You'll be loved well here. Yeah. Now, the, the preacher's a bit of a redneck, but... Uh, <laughs> He's a good man. No, he preaches God's word. I had to. He made a video, right? Like, he preaches God's word faithfully. And the ministry team here, absolute gift. And so I am certain of this, that you will be loved well here. If there's room for me, there is room for you. And I look out and I think about all the moments that I've already been given this morning of, with familiar faces and being embraced warmly. These moments, they kind of remind me that, that, like, this is just good, right? And some of you, they're like, well, you still haven't cut your hair. And then some of you are like, I have no idea who you are in the first place. So I'm going to just take a quick minute. My name is Ben, okay? Um, and a little bit about me. Together with my wife, Crystal, and I, we lead a discipleship ministry called The Brave Way Home aimed at calling and equipping fellow wayfarers, fellow believers to deeper living, to a deeper faith, with eyes fixed on Jesus and hearts set on heaven. We want to see heavenly thinking invade earthly living. We want to see heavenly thinking transform our earthly living because we're convinced that when Jesus is at the helm of our hearts, our perspective changes. Like that's what a wayfarer is. A wayfarer is a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus that is choosing to live life with an eternal perspective. Remembering all the stuff that scripture has to say about who we are. He says, don't get cozy here, right? He says, you're nomads. Scripture says repeatedly that we are temporary residents. We are foreigners. We are aliens. We are pilgrims passing through, committing to wayfaring whatever wilderness is in this world with our eyes fixed on Jesus and our hearts set on heaven. And I believe that a wayfaring life will give the Holy Spirit all the room necessary to transform the way that we live and the way that we love and the way that we lead in the here and the now. Because here's the deal. If we zero in there, here's what we find. That when Jesus comes back, we will be a church ready. We will be a church ready. And so for us, we just want to zero in there. We want to be a voice there calling people to those places, trusting that God will prayerfully raise up a movement of wayfaring disciples that will faithfully 
and fruitfully and humbly point people far from God to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so that's the heartbeat of what I get to do day in and day out with the Brave Way Home. And it's that same eagerness and expectancy that I'm here joining the Fairdale family this morning. This is what we get to lean into. And it's summertime, gang. It's summertime. Like it's halfway over, Ben. Right? Like it's, it's the end of June. But like summertime often brings a different pace, doesn't it? Like sometimes some of us were like, it's a hurried pace. We are like running to try and cram in everything that we can before school starts back. Right? Every, every get together, every trip, every this, every project. Some of you maybe have spouses that have a lot of projects for you to do and you're like okay we got to get this done right like but also sometimes it doesn't just ramp things up sometimes summertime brings a window to slow things down and have the space to have more time together like that together time maybe it's more campouts and cookouts maybe it's more time underneath the stars around a campfire maybe it's it's time with your neighbors and your family like breaking bread together maybe it's more ice cream right that's amen like there's always always more time for more ice cream but summertime can sometimes make more together time and I, I think about that. My heart longs for that. I, I want to be with people. I want to be with my family, with my friends. And it's because God has wired us for relationships. He's made us this way, and we need time together. And here's the deal. Brandon kind of gave me freedom to kind of talk about what was, what was stirring in my heart. And this has been stirring in my heart. To just zero in on what that together time can look like, because I believe all of our hearts need this. And the more we look around to what's unfolding in our world, everybody needs some together time, right? It needs to be redefined of what it means to connect with one another. And so my heart is naturally drawn to the book of Acts, the beginning of the early church, because like, it's filled with this unique togetherness. It's filled with this, these stories of together time, of believers coming together, the people of God learning how to be the people of God, how to love one another in a united way. And I can't help but specifically be drawn to the second chapter of Acts. Anybody remember that band, second chapter of Acts? We got any old folks that are like, who are like I remember, okay, I'm the only one. Okay, so it's okay. It's okay. Look them up. You will be blessed, okay? But this, the, where the author, the author of Acts says this, Luke, he's, he's zeroing in on some of the most beautiful and foundational evidences and expressions of the church. I don't doubt at all, many of us, we probably know Acts 2.42 by heart, right? Where, where scripture says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the fellowship and breaking of bread and to, to prayer. Like these are pillars. Like these are, these are marks this, that when you boil everything down to get to the essentials of what it means to be the church, what it looks like to be the church, here's what we find. We see a deep devotion, a deep devotion to the apostles' teaching, a deep devotion to the fellowship, the gathering together. We see a deep devotion to breaking bread and a deep devotion to prayer. Like these, these marks, they all go together. You can't really leave one out without jacking everything up. They hold hands. They work together together. And when one is expressed, it really amplifies the rest. 
Because here's what happens. If we aren't exercising them all, they won't make as much sense to everybody else. Think about it. The more rooted we are in God's word, wouldn't you think the stronger our fellowship, our togetherness would be? Like the more we are mindful of what it really means to break bread with one another, I think prayer becomes more pronounced among us. And so I think it's just vital to fix our focus on these things and how much power they have to impact our faithfulness individually and as the corporate body of believers. I know for me, I often think of discipleship through the lens of just everybody's wearing a backpack. You're going somewhere. You're like, I don't have a backpack. Walk with me on this, though. It's just discipleship is putting tools, simple biblical truths in everybody's backpack that will better equip you to walk faithfully with Jesus wherever he's leading you. And so what we got to do is just lean into making sure that what goes in that backpack are the essentials. Because this world is heavy and it wants to send your heart sideways and it intends to burden you. But that's not the way of the gospel. And so for us today, there's a gazillion ways that we can unpack this. But I want to zero in on just really one essential. And that is the breaking of bread. Okay? Now when I think of bread, I think of my love for bread. Does anybody love bread? Right? Like, I mean, you may be thinking of, oh, Let's talk about the types of bread that we love, right? Like, is he going to give us permission, right? Like, like whether it's re- wheat or rye or, uh, for me, ciabatta, right? Like, or, or sourdough or banana bread, right? Like, or any type of bread that Marsha Miller's making, <laughs> right? Right? Like, have you had those angel biscuits? Because I'm telling you, that's what love looks like, okay? And if you haven't, you need to figure out how to, okay? But I, I, before we get too far off, off track here, like I, I'm drawn to the idea of bread because we use it so commonly. It's around us all the time. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to hang out in Acts 2, and we're going to do our best to focus in on this and pull out just a couple of the truths that I think are in this passage. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If you've got your phones, you can scroll there. If you've got your eyeballs, you can look up there, okay? Words are going to be on the screen. I just want to read these over us. But before I do, let me say this. When we step into the story of Scripture, we do so with humility and expectancy. We are trusting that it is alive and it is active. And that God intends to do something in us and with us and through us in our time together in His Word. Okay? And what we write, we remember. And so if something we unpack today hits your heart today... Write it down today, okay? Let me pick it up. Verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day... They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, 
That's probably a passage we've heard a whole bunch of times, right? So just a real quick reminder of like what the context is. This is coming off of the heels of Peter's sermon on Pentecost, at Pentecost, right? Like where droves and droves of people have just repented and they've received Christ and they've been baptized like 3,000 of them, like all at once coming off of one sermon preached. And there's more and more rolling in daily, joining the church, which means they need instruction. So like, just think about this for a second of how wild that would be, right? There's no database. <laughs> there's no connection card to fill out so that they'd know how to follow up. There's no follow-up team. There's no Phil Miller in the lobby ready to connect with you after service. Like there's no membership class in place. You just literally have a huge, massive influx of young believers who have just placed their faith in Jesus. They are young to faith, and they are hungry for more of Jesus. They're hungry to be with those who have chosen to follow him, and they want to learn how to follow him. And I think that's why it matters so much that there be such externally recognizable identifiers of this body of this fellowship that captures the distinctness of the Christian community. This community that, that communicates a determined declaration that Jesus is the promised Messiah and our lives tell that story over and over again. That the evidences of our life distinguish us as followers from everybody else that's set apart and when you look at this passage, there's a word that stands out pretty quickly, and it's that word devoted. And we know what it means, right? But if you slow down long enough to know just how rich and robust of a meaning and a definition this word is, this word literally means a steadfast, determined, single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. Think about how strong that is. That means this. This is an unswerving commitment to these things. And so as you see all these believers, there is a single-minded approach. There's a deep devotion, a deep commitment. And here's the deal. If you are going to teach a ton of new believers what it looks like to be in the church, you had better do it devotedly so. Because there's going to be all kinds of other things inviting them to go a different direction and change the definition of what's at hand. And so as we dive in, I know you know this. I'm a geek. I love words. <laughs> I love to know what words mean, and I want to grab a hold of these things. And when I look at the original language of this verse, because it communicates so much, I want us to miss, I don't want us to miss this. There's a definite article in verse 42. You're like, it's summer, Ben. I don't want to go back to school. <laughs> like, I don't want to. There's a definite article, and it means this. It is better translated, the breaking of the bread. The breaking of the bread. And that means that even though in other passages in Scripture that, that breaking bread is an everyday, ordinary meal, it means that this one isn't. It means that this just isn't any breaking of just any bread. This is a call. This is a deep devotion and emphasis on observing the Lord's Supper. This is that reminder Remembering what was unfolding in the upper room on Jesus' last night with his closest disciples, we call it communion, right? 
And so I want us to grab a hold of this, that the breaking of bread, it is foundational to faith. It's foundational to faith. The Last Supper, it was recorded. This meal was recorded in every gospel, including the one written by the same guy who wrote Acts in Luke. He says this in chapter 22. He says, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I know you've likely heard a gazillion communion meditations, but we cannot lose sight of the significance of Christ's sacrifice and what it means for our salvation, because without it, we have nothing. We have nothing. Like his body was given for us. His blood was poured out for us. This was done on our behalf. It is foundational. These are the building blocks that we build our life on. We remember the truths attached to them. That's why we break bread. It's foundational. And so when we share in communion together, we remember because it costs too much to forget. It shapes everything. We remember that Jesus offered his body. He poured out his blood as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Once for all time. The whole point of it is to keep Christ's sacrifice in the forefront of our minds. We never want to forget what he did on the cross. That his, the death that he died, it's what we deserve. He gave us righteousness that we could never earn. It should remind us that Jesus, the bread of life, laid down his life for us. It's foundational. But I also think of later up the road in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is reminding the church in Corinth, which they were turned around about a whole bunch of things, that it's not just you can't forget, you can't be flippant either. You can't be flippant about this because it's foundational. Reminding them of Jesus' words repeated over and over. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did you catch that? <laughs> until he comes. You proclaim until he comes. Every time you share in the bread and the cup, we are proclaiming what Christ has done for you. What he's done for us and our willingness to accept it. Every time we share in the bread and the cup, you are declaring your dependence on him to be the one that saves you. And every time you share in the bread and the cup, you are announcing that he's coming back. Every time. Like this is our statement of faith. So we can't forget it and we can't be flippant. This is the meal that confirms the new covenant that God is making with us through Jesus. It tells the story of the salvation offered to us and our embrace of it. But it also invites us to do like what Paul says in Romans 12, to be ready to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes because he's coming back. And when he does, he will eat the bread and he will drink the cup in the new kingdom as he has promised. 
when he gathers all of us around his table at his great banquet. It's foundational because we remember what he's done. It's foundational because we participate in what he's doing. But it's foundational because we anticipate his return. One of my, one of my favorite theologians and, and authors, N.T. Wright, he says it this way, if we aren't doing this, we are failing to raise the flag that says Jesus' death and resurrection are the center of everything. The breaking of the bread is foundational to our faith. But like I mentioned before, breaking bread, it can also mean everyday ordinary meals, right? For example, just a few verses down that we read. In verse 46 and 47, it says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's a lot of togetherness if you listen closely. And I love how this reference, it's different words, this reference of breaking bread, it's actually an example of the everyday ordinary meal, but it's in light of the not-so-ordinary everyday meal. It's in light of the breaking of the bread, which means the first meal defines all of the rest of them when we're together. That matters. So I want us to grab a hold of this, that the breaking of the bread, it is foundational to our faith, but the breaking of bread, it calls us to function like family, to function like family. Like that's what I'm getting at when I say summertime together time, okay? Making time for that. All these believers, they're meeting together daily. They're eating together daily. Like they're in the temple together. They're in their homes together. They're in public together. They're in private together. Every day they meet in the temple. And the word literally means a legit substantive meal. Think about that frequency for a second. And you're like, oh, we already are, right? They're, 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 they're in each other's homes sharing meals daily. And for some of you with the gift of hospitality, you're like, yes, let's do this. Let's potluck everything, right? And for some of us, we are absolutely terrified at the idea of spending that much time together, right? Like your mind starts racing of all the things that have got to be cleaned up and tucked away before guests come over. And the rest of you are like, oh, they got a list of things that they'd better clean up and tuck away before I come over, right? Like, you're like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, all of those things that start coming up, like, our minds will race with that. And some of you might even be thinking, goodness, Ben, it's hard enough to see these people once a week. Like, right? Right? Let's be honest. Like, like but every day, every day, Here's the deal, though. The breaking of bread calls us to function like family. All of these verses around it are, are capturing this togetherness. It's telling the story that the fellowship, it goes beyond this large group gathering. The fellowship speaks to that connected partnership that we have with Christ and with each other. That our lives are weaving together. It shares that we're in a common pursuit because they're worshiping together. And they're learning together. And they're learning how to serve one another together. They're learning how to be family together. And as they sat around the same table, something special was happening. Because as they're sharing meals, they're sharing their lives. 
Because as every time they broke bread, don't doubt for an instant that they were not reminded of the king that they now have in common. It was on their mind all the time. They discovered that when we share in the breaking of the bread, when you sit around the table of the Savior together, you become part of a family. And I know it maybe seems Captain Obvious, but you are a family. And families are to function in a certain way. We share meals. We share our needs. We share our hearts. They shared what they had. They shared life. They became family in the truest sense of the word. They had to share what they had to survive because a lot of them, here's the deal, it costs something to follow Jesus. Some of them would have lost their livelihood. Some of them would have lost their family relationships. And some of us feel that tension right now, 2,000 years later. But their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. These homes, they were filled with Christian warmth and devotion and inevitably filled with joy and love and praise because God is grafting into this family more and more daily. And we can look at that and we can be both inspired and deeply intimidated, right? Like we can be inspired and intimidated. We can see that like, wow, that looks beautiful. Could you imagine that kind of harmony and togetherness? And at the same time, be overwhelmed with, oh my, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. That seems so impossible. And, and instead of asking yourself, how on earth is that even plausible? Like how on earth? I, I would say, I think that's the wrong way to frame the question. Instead of asking, how could that ever be? Maybe ask yourself, how do I offer the ministry of my presence to fellow believers? How do I offer the ministry of my presence and how do I receive the ministry of theirs? Because that's what this is getting about. Like, think about that for a second. Like, what are those intersections in our lives? Like, what are they? Where are they? Who do we keep meeting at those intersections? Like, what... Maybe the question asked is not just what are the intersections, what are the roadblocks? Like what do you find yourself, like what's getting in the way of you breaking bread with other believers? And for some of us, maybe it's because we just, we don't think we have the time, right? Because we got a lot of other things we've said yes to. Maybe we've handed out our yeses like candy at a parade, right? Maybe we just don't think we got time. Maybe it's because we just don't have the energy or we don't, we don't think we even need it or just the thought of sharing our needs, that vulnerability or listening to somebody else's needs, that kind of vulnerability, that is hard. What, like what gets in the way? Because the bottom line is this, they functioned like family. They shared life. They opened their homes. They opened their hearts and they ministered to one another by giving one another the ministry of their presence. They were drawn together by their common king and the family that he called them to be, they truly experienced what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am with them. Can you hear the presence in that? There's presence. They discovered the gift 
of the church. And I know for me, my mind kind of goes to all of the one another passages in Scripture, how we're to love one another and forgive one another and pray for one another and encourage with one another and bear with one another. There's like over 100 of them. I'm not going to list them all off right now. Like there's, there's a lot of them, but there's one in particular that blesses me that I come back to often, and it's 1 Corinthians 12, 26, that if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We're called to share life together, to enter in and to stay present, to enter into the good and the bad and the hard, because that's how you function like a family. Because there's unity and there's interdependence that we're called to. And the hospitality, to minister to each other in this way, joining our lives together in the, as the body of Christ. This is what it means to be called to be his church. Have you experienced that? <laughs> like, are you committed to being a family like that? And how well do you tell the stories that tell that story? That this is a church family, not just a church building, right? Like I can tell you countless examples, countless, of how I have experienced it, how God has wrapped his arms around my family through his family. And as I know this church family knows this, as many of you already know my story, that my wife Crystal and I, we have three remarkable children. Our oldest, Ezra, and our youngest, Lila, they live with us. And their sister, my, our sweet center, Kala, she lives in heaven with Jesus. And, oh my goodness, how this daddy's heart longed to have all of my children in my arms again. We live life between Kala's rescue and our someday reunion. And we hold fast to the good God who holds fast to us. And it's his promises that when the world falls apart and falls out from underneath you, the foundation we're standing on are his promises that pull us forward. And in our deepest, darkest points, the church, his family, our family, entered in and stayed present. So many believers across the country, across the world, prayed fervently for us and prayed fervently. Those prayers held us together in darkness. And we, we saw people from not just our own local church family, but churches in all kinds of places love us the way they know how, whatever it is. And those prayers and that love still sustain us four years later. They came around us, they held us, they suffered with us, and they rejoiced with us. They broke bread with us. They, they shared in pain with us. They shared love with us. They shared hope with us. They shared the ministry of their presence with us. And when you feel all alone in this world, that is a gift. It is a gift. And it is how the Father wraps his arms around us that we need our family and God's people rallied around us. Followers of Jesus, we need the family of Jesus. Because we're wafering through a world that is hostile to the spirit we've embraced. 
We are foreigners, we are nomads, we are aliens in this world, and we need each other to walk forward to the heavenly homeland our king is leading us to. This is the church. And so we share our meals, and we share our homes, and we share our stuff, and we share our needs, and we share our praise. Because we share one spirit, and we follow one savior, and we worship one father. We share our lives. We function like family because we are family. So maybe the question for you this morning is, how can we offer the ministry of our presence to one another, to those who desperately need it? Like who are the brothers and sisters sitting around you that maybe just need to break bread with you? Where might God be nudging you and inviting you into a different rhythm, like a different rhythm, maybe a more frequent rhythm with somebody else like think about it so many of our rhythms have been so disrupted in the last few years right like normal is long gone it's all been disrupted social distancing has done just that distanced us it's isolated us in ways that we don't even know how to articulate three years later it's found its way into disconnecting us and i remember the messaging of basically this it all boiled down to don't be hospitable and don't hang out with people who are Right? Like, do you remember? Like, that's what it felt like. It made it feel like breaking bread seemed impossible or it seemed wrong to break bread. It made gathering seem distanced because it was. It was distanced and it's a hard thing and it made it harder. But I know for Crystal and I, we, we knew we had to find a way to have meaningful connection with others and still honor all of the needs at hand. We knew we had to figure it out. We knew we needed to both offer and receive the ministry of presence. And so there was a desire in us to have those deeper relationships when everything seemed to be shut down. And with that lens of discipleship and help others navigate the journey deeper into life with Jesus. And it naturally gave way to us inviting people into our sacred space, our treehouse. <laughs> we have a treehouse. We have a treehouse. Years ago, Ezra and Kala brought me into the backyard and they cast a vision for a treehouse that they wanted Daddy to build. And so nearly eight years ago, that's what we did. And we've had to make some modifications to the, their, their vision proposed, as compelling as it was. We do not have a roller coaster that wraps around it. We do not have a zip line that zips from it. And we don't have a lazy river that wraps around it either. Yet. Um, <laughs> But goodness, a lot of life has been lived in this treehouse. Like campouts and birthday parties, like playdates and picnics. It is the primary place that we break bread with others. Like God gave us a way to meet with people. He gave us a way to be in the open air, six feet apart from each other, up in a tree, still honoring all the requirements and still offering each other the ministry of our presence. And this is what I want you to hear. Breaking bread had to look different, but it still had to happen. And it still has to happen now. And what started with an invitation into our sacred space has become a pathway of deeper discipleship in the ways of Jesus, like what we call treehouse time. And by that, it's become a means that we get to eat together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God 
It's become a way to lead people back into the life of the church, and it's been a way to walk faithfully with people that aren't ready to walk through the doors of a church yet. It's meeting them where they are, and beautifully so. We get to meet with people often on our sweet Callas floor of the treehouse. And we invite others to conversation focused on pursuing deeper things. It's what I want to ask you this morning as we wrap this up. Where's your treehouse? <laughs> like, where's your table to circle people around? Because I can't help but think of how much these spaces matter. My heart immediately goes to Phil and Marsha Miller's back porch and how much my life is blessed just sitting with those souls there. Where is it that you can break bread and share life? What does your together time need to look like? Who might need the ministry of your presence? Because those who put their faith in Jesus as Savior and King are invited to come around his table for the breaking of the bread. Remembering his sacrifice, participating in his ministry, and anticipating his return. It's foundational to our faith. But when we sit around the same table, we function like family. And you are drawn together by the common king that we have with a common hope and a common mission. And the evidence that you will be of who the church really is, it will inevitably draw people far from God near to God. So that someday the great banquet table in the coming kingdom will be full. So here in a moment, we're going to share in communion together. And you're like, Ben, that's the longest communion meditation I've ever heard. <laughs> and maybe it needs to be because this is foundational. And so I invite you, when the volunteers come and, and pass the trays, that if you are a follower of Jesus that have placed your faith in him as Savior and King, you share in this meal and you remember don't forget. Remember what it costs and remember what he calls you to. Because we're family. But if you're here this morning, you're like, Ben, I don't even know if I believe any of this, but I'm here. I want you to know this is the best place for you to be. Because you get to witness what it looks like to be invited to the table that's had a seat saved for you. So maybe if you're here and you're like, I'm not ready to take that step. All you got to do, let the tray pass. But take these moments, maybe talk to God and say, hey, you really got a seat at the table for me? Because we can talk about that. I'm sure there's water in the baptistry, okay? There's steps that we could take. The seat has been saved for you. I want to pray over you as we get ready to share in this meal. Father God, I am so thankful for this church family. And I'm thankful for the privilege of being among them. And I am so thankful that you love us so much. That you sent your one and only son. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice, and we build our life on it. 
because we bring nothing else to the table. God, as we enter into this time, may our hearts be flooded with your love, how unswerving it is, how faithful it is, how unrelenting it is. And may that truth wash over us anew as you call us to new steps forward as family. We love you and we trust you. We thank you and we need you. It is in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.